is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. It's time for your week daily look at the NBA and your Charlotte Hornets. It's time for the Hive O'Clock Alarm. Oh, that sounds amazing. Good morning, Hornets fans, and what a beautiful morning it is. I'm Doug Branson. He's David Walker. This is the Hive O'Clock Alarm. The Hornets winners of Game 3 thanks to an 18 to nothing run in the third quarter. The Hornets, I guess the Hornets are back in this series, David. They're back, buddy. We've got a series. The Actually, buzz is back. There's, there's technically only a series. People tell me this when there's a road win by road team. So hopefully that doesn't happen until Wednesday. No, I think I think it, it is a series. You had to get that one right. Make it two one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The biggest biggest game and and biggest game ever tonight. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think you could definitely say that. Now the Hornets win Game Three, David, by by dare I say, making some really clever adjustments. I know that's a hot button word, but the Hornets getting bigger, going with Al Jefferson and Frank Kaminsky in the starting lineup. That was a surprise, David. Surprised both of us, I think, uh, and we weren't alone in predicting that maybe Jeremy Lin would step into the starting lineup. Uh, with the Hornets missing Nick Batum due to that strained foot, but they get bigger and it worked. It, it worked out great. Yeah, you're right. I was I spent most of uh, Friday night tweeting out my thoughts on Jeremy Lin starting, which of course, as as we've come to see this season, went exactly the opposite way. Once once we dug in on something here, right? <laughs> if it could turn well, you know, we he, he watched it. Listen, he watched the tape. Yeah, exactly right. But I thought it was a great move, and and it made sense because they didn't want to get smaller. And and I think you know putting Len out there, there was some concern, obviously, over the uh, for the defensive side. But what about the, what about the confidence that showed in Big Frank? And it paid off. I mean, that was great to see on a couple levels. I mean, one for that guy uh, as a rookie to struggle in the first two games, and then for Coach Clifford to keep you know going with him and. Uh, and he proved it to be a good move with that big third quarter. Yeah, he made some early mistakes on defense against Lawal Ding, uh, someone who he struggled with all season. Uh, Ding getting four early three-pointers to go down. Two of those, I thought, were on mistakes from Frank. And one, he he overhelped, and another, he just had a, a short close. You just got to get you got to get your hand up, especially in transition. There was a transition play where. Where he had a short close, and and Luol Ding will take advantage of that every time. But like you said, he just and and Clifford uh, complimented him for just having confidence, not getting his head down, having the right attitude. And I I do think that comes from a guy who's played four years of of high level college basketball. He's seen the highs, he's seen the lows, and and you know he generally just doesn't get uh, flustered or or frustrated. He stayed with it. He stayed with his game, and and you know he. I think he enjoyed the trust from the coaching staff, from Clifford, from Patrick Ewing, from Michael Jordan, who all wanted to see Frank Kaminsky post up 
and and show that aspect of his game. And for a big guy, David, I think that, look, you know, obviously he can hit the three-pointer, and obviously he has a great pick-and-pop game. But I think if you're over seven feet tall and a team won't let you go inside or won't call a play for you to go inside, that can be uh, frustrating may be the word, but but it certainly isn't ideal, I think, if you're over seven feet tall and they tell you you can't go in the lane. So when he, when they gave him that go-ahead, I think it, it, it lit a fire inside of him. Yeah, I think so. I wonder if any other Winslow stuff. I kind of, I kind of lean towards no on the Winslow stuff, like affecting him at all, you know, or giving him extra motivation. But maybe not. I mean, he 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 had Winslow on his back a few times, and one of the few times we've seen Frank use that strength and his size when he when he's got somebody smaller on him, and he had D Wade on him a couple times too. But you know, got in there, pushed his weight around a little bit, and and made a couple of nice moves. And I mean towards the end of that run, you really started to see the confidence he was feeling because some of those shots, I mean, he was sprinting back. <laughs> he was doing victory laps before they even got, got up to the rim. So, you know, maybe it's that, that's the spark he needed. And, you know, the team certainly had a spark, but that was just, that was good to see for Frank, obviously for the team too, but it was nice to see for that young rookie. Yeah. And it was, it was a mismatch Winslow versus Frank. And, and then uh, Winslow also got D Wade on him at one point. Mm -hmm. And that was a mismatch that was caused by Goran Dragic getting that third foul. And the Hornets were really able to put uh, uh, some barriers in Miami's offensive and defensive plan by getting Hassan Whiteside in early foul trouble and getting Goran Dragic in foul trouble. So it's something to look at as we head into Game 4 tonight uh, in Time Warner Cable yeah. Arena. Can the Hornets again force some of their key players to get into foul trouble and, and make Eric Spolstra have to adjust his plan? And I think that's one of the reasons why, because you could look, you could have gotten bigger by putting Frank in alongside of Cody Zeller. We saw that earlier this season when Batum was hurt and they decided to go this way against Milwaukee, who had damaged them on the boards and by going inside with uh, Greg Monroe and the like. So they've done this before with Frank, but the switch with Al Jefferson, I think, was to put pressure on Hassan Whiteside early on the defensive end and force him maybe to foul or just be frustrated and just get a bigger body on him early on, and I thought it was a great adjustment because again, I don't think it was about getting Al Jefferson in there for extra offense. He was only five of eleven, ten points. I don't think it was about offense; right. it was about getting a bigger body on Hassan Whiteside. What did you think about that adjustment, Cody Zeller, Al Jefferson? Yeah, I think it made sense. And the one thing that I was uh, seeing as well, Doug, that you kind of alluded to was the way that the active hands and just the aggressiveness with which the Hornets were playing, you know, uh, inside, but also on the perimeter. And I think for a guy like Whiteside and Dragic, I think they both got visibly frustrated. And especially for Whiteside, I mean, I think that's a way that you may be able to to attack him in a different way because we've seen it when he gets a little worked up, gets a little overzealous, you know, he can get frustrated and maybe to the detriment of his team. So I think that had as much to do with how the Hornets were playing, you know, being more physical. I mean, they, they raised their intensity level to where it needed to be, where at a playoff level. And I thought even from the beginning of the game, you know, you saw that loose ball around the end of the first half. They were active. They were slapping at the ball. They were doing so trying to get those, um, those deflections, you know, the Clifford highlights so much that they didn't really have a lot of in the first two games. 
And I thought that was a big difference too. And something that they should absolutely continue to do. And especially at home when you can get the crowd behind you, you know, I thought that was huge. And, and it kept going whenever the ball would come down, the guys were swiping at it. So that was big for me. And, and here's the thing I think people should understand. I don't think that this adjustment was just about getting Al Jefferson into the starting lineup. I think, and, and Clifford alluded to this after the game, saying that these adjustments were about being able to play offense and defense in, whenever the second unit started to leak into the floor. And you could see that, I think, with Cody Zeller, whose game translated much better to playing against uh, some of their oh, yeah. some of their other bigs. I mean, Amari only played eight minutes, but but his game adjusted better when you paired him alongside Spencer Hawes, and you could attack that size. I think late in the third quarter, early fourth, Zeller and Hawes were able to work together a, a lot better, and you saw Zeller four of eight from the field. 12 points, made an impact off the bench. And, of course, we can't we can't forget to mention Jeremy Lin, 7 of 16 from the field, 18 points. He really uh, uh, elevated the Hornets' offensive game to another level despite not starting. He got in there and, and made a difference in that first half by, by getting to the basket, by hitting that huge three that got the hive alive. Yeah. I mean, I... I you know, I've been to a lot of games, David, in Time Warner Cable Arena, but I've never seen it uh, that excited for Hornets basketball. When when uh, when uh, Jeremy Lin hit that three, it was deafening in the hive, and it was yeah. exciting. Tell me a little bit about how the game started, especially when Dang was on fire again. Was there some nervous energy? Was there some clasping of the hands in your section? I mean, how, what was the feeling like in there? Well, look, the, the same frustration that you saw on Twitter with Frank Kaminsky, basically wanting to pull the guy immediately, get, grab mm-hmm. the cane out and, and drag him off stage, was, was evident in the arena. And that's going to happen, I think, when a rookie struggles like that. But I think there was some nervous energy, but I think you know what was positive. I think everyone was still excited because it was playoff basketball. It was in Charlotte. It was uh the, you had the 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 Buzz City jerseys, the Pride jerseys. I, I think everyone it was worked. just I think it worked. I think the Enter the Swarm t-shirts. I, I think everything, the whole atmosphere was really good and and once the Hornets got things back on track, the the crowd seemed engaged the entire time. It was it was a fun experience. They needed have, was there a shot anyone needed more? I, initially, I thought it was the dunk from Marvin along the baseline, but that three he hit, I think it was right before the half. To see the lid come off the basket like that for him, I think, had to be huge. I mean, the Hornets only hit, what, like five three-pointers in that game, so it's not like they came out and just lit the world on fire, but they saw a few go in, right? And they saw they were able to get a few stops and see some of the heat misses. So, I mean, I think that has a lot to do with it. They, 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 like Clipper said, they were doing some of the things they wanted to do on defense, especially in the first two games, but the successes just weren't there. So getting those little successes on both ends, I think it was huge for this team to just have a little confidence and get a little bit of that home swagger back. And you have to talk about Marvin Williams when you talk about this game. He was 5 of 9 from the field. He did hit two three-pointers, uh, 12 points in total for Marvin, but 14 rebounds uh, an amazing rebounding performance for Marvin, but it's not out of the ordinary. We've seen him do this before. But then you look at his matchup against Joe Johnson. Joe was 3 of 11 for 7 points, and, and Marvin did a great job staying locked in on him, 
in, in terms of his isolation game, but also recovering well to him on the three-point line where he went one of four. And so, you know, Marvin struggled. You know, we talk about his offensive struggles in this series, but he's also struggled defensively. But the move to three, I think, helped him yeah. in this instance because – you know that Joe Johnson is not a guy who's going to necessarily beat you with extreme quickness, and and I think that plays to Marvin, who is a little quicker. He can, I think he he disrupted what Joe wanted to do. So uh, th- this is now officially a very fun series. It wasn't very fun because the Hornets were getting blasted, you know, and getting game one and game two. But now you see that fire has returned to the Hornets, and, and I, you know. I don't want to put it all on Marvin Williams, but I think when he gets it going, I think he is the emotional core of this team. And, and when he gets it going and he gets the scream going that he's done so many times, I think it just helps the Hornets stay locked in quarter to quarter and, and playing intense defense, and they certainly showed it. I mean, David, they kind of drug Miami into who's, who's really their success in the first two games was based on ball movement and finesse, and they dragged them into a little bit of a, a dirty fight uh, almost in, yeah, in, in this saying. game three. It, it was interesting because yeah. that's not been the Horn, that's a, that is not Hornets basketball this season. And it's weird now to hear the narrative if you watch some of the halftime stuff or, or the breakdowns of the games. It's like, well, the Heat want to get up and run, <laughs> which is you know kind of opposite from what we heard going into the game. It was that they maybe want to play a little ball, more ball control, but the Hornets I, yeah. really control that pace. I, I don't get it. So, look, national media, you have to decide: do the 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 Heat need to run or do they need to play right. half court? It's just been right. it's yeah. been both. But I mean, I think their biggest success in this playoffs at least, has been in in the half court when they've been able to get to a second pick and roll or they've been able to make two or three passes around the, the three-point line and then the ball's been going in the, in the hoop for the Heat and it did not in Game 3. I'll say this, though, David. I thought an important adjustment for the Hornets is, is deciding to sag back on the, the white side pick and rolls. They, they were being mm-hmm. aggressive with those. Uh, pick and rolls with white side and trying to bring a guard or, or somebody help side to check him in the lane and it just it simply was not working white side could they were getting the ball to white side cleanly and then he was able to really do whatever he wanted and it also opened up opportunities for him to get offensive rebounds in this game they still attacked the the side pick and rolls and we've seen that time and time again but they loosened up the defense a little bit I thought in the white side pick and rolls, and and it was effective. I thought. I mean, white side was not able to do the damage that we've seen. Uh, only three of six from the field, thirteen points, and, and he he did get to the free throw line several times. But but I thought they were able to do a good job on white side in this game and limit his. You have to limit the the problem the Hornets have had defensively is that they couldn't limit anything. They couldn't limit white side. They couldn't limit right. the outside shooting. And now they were able to do that with Whiteside, and I thought it, it, it paid dividends. Yeah, he's going to get his rebounds. I mean, 18 again in that game. I think you got to keep all the rest of the guys off the board is the biggest thing. But you know what? I mean, Eric Spoltra is going to have some adjustment. I don't know what it's going to be, but these two coaches have taken their turns kind of adjusting things. Spoltra tried to go D-Wade on Kaminsky. That didn't work out. I don't know that we'll see that again, but – 
uh, it'll be interesting tonight to see what each one of these coaches comes with. Cause I expect Clifford to stay with this lineup. We haven't even talked about the tune, but I don't expect him to play. I don't know what, what, if you're looking for that, but I think I, the lineup will be the same. No, I don't. I don't think Batum will play. Everything that I heard from practice was that it, it, everybody just seemed a little, a little negative about Batum playing. Now maybe game mm-hmm. five, if if we can get to a game five, you know, I think that or a game six. I mean, if you can get to a game six, yeah. I think that might be a possibility. But I don't see four or five being uh, available for Batum. But everything you hear is Nick Batum wants to get out there and play and that's a positive I mean you you love to hear that that he doesn't feel like yeah. he needs to shut it down he he desperately wants he's a competitor he's been playing professionally since he's 13 years old so he wants to get out there and and make a difference for this team and and I've said it over and over I think if the Hornets have any shot they have to win tonight because uh, I was reading yeah. in the observer the the statistic if teams going down three to one when game five is uh, for the 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 team up three games, it's like ninety eight point seven percent that that Not the good. that the home team wins that game five. So uh, the Hornets have to win game four, but I think they have to get Batum back in some capacity for game six or game seven if the Hornets have any shot at taking this series. But we'll we'll continue to to cover it. Of course, we've got Hive Talk Live. The, the, the full show coming up on Tuesday. We'll recap Game 4, talk about Game 3 some more. And uh, we didn't do over and under. We can go quickly over how we did uh, uh, last week in our over and under segment. We said Lamb minutes uh, 20. David, you took the over. I took the under. I think yeah. I got that one. <laughs> you safely nailed that one. Jeremy, well, Jeremy Lamb's nailed to the bench right now, unfortunately. That's why I nailed that yeah. one. Uh, Jeremy Lynn, 13 points. We both took the over, even though Lynn didn't start. I think we both assumed he would start, and, and yet we, we were both correct on the over there. He had a huge impact. Uh, team assist, 10. We both took the over, and we both look like smart guys because uh, the, the Hornets finally got some ball movement. And I, Here's my last thought, David. I think that the most important thing that the Hornets did by going big and forcing the ball inside, and you'll, I think you'll see this in Game 4, is that I think it's going to force Miami to loosen their pressure, to loosen the ball pressure, to sit back on defense a little bit. Uh, be, and, yeah, and I, they're getting in the paint, too. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you'll, you'll start to see that because you saw through the whole game Josh Richardson, intense ball pressure on Kimball Walker. I think that starts to recede. And David, if that starts to recede, then the three-point line may finally open up for the Charlotte Hornets once again. The Charlotte Hornets only hit five three-pointers in that Game 3 victory. I, if if that's the one over and under we do for this for this game four, David, I'm taking the over. I think the Hornets. Me too. I, I think it, the three point line finally unlocks for the Charlotte Hornets in game four. I agree. I agree. I don't think they played their best offensive game. Certainly not for shooting wise. So that could still be to come. So that's something to look forward to and a good thing for the Hornets. We are both looking forward to game four. I hope you are as well, listeners. We will uh, be back on Tuesday. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live, where we will be live tweeting the game. Thanks for listening. Until then, all hail the teal and purple.